what is this? What has happened here? We came for the usual ho-hum sermon, predictable banter back and forth. But now, a man down on the synagogue floor? He's now in his right mind, but he's gone through this frenzied fit or an epileptic seizure. Is everything all right? What is this? One of the younger congregants, a local fisherman, cries out, It's a new teaching! And it's not like the scholars and the religious leaders and experts. It's brimming and full of authority. Jesus even commands unclean spirits, and they obey him. When was the last time you were caught up in a worship service, amazed at what Jesus was doing in your midst? Oh, I know it happens every Sunday at First Baptist, of course. (laughs) No, but seriously, when were you amazed and crying out, what is this, what is this, what is this? I'm curious to hear some stories, and maybe we'll do a bit of sharing during our Zoom coffee hour, or you can uh, send an email to ministry staff and let us know. When have you been in the middle of a church service and asked, what is this? The writer Annie Dillard wonders why we don't have more what-is-this moments. In her book, Teaching a Stone to Talk, she has this great quote. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. I sense Mark had been drawn out, Mark the gospel writer, to that place of no return. Out of all the gospel stories that he could have started with when talking about Jesus' first public act, he starts off with Jesus striding into the local worship house and the Nazarene carpenter's kid, astounding the congregation with so much more than sermon banter, but a full-on drop a possessed man to the floor and push back the forces of darkness, miracle. Whoa. It's a sign of things to come throughout this gospel. Jesus inviting his followers to this reign and this way where his personhood and his power overwhelms and overcomes and liberates and makes whole all lives and all communities. So we too should ask, what is this? And what does it mean for us who worship today in this season of Epiphany, in this season where we ask and wait and pray for God's new revealings? We pray that a story like this is good news for overwhelmed and weary souls. 
Good news for those of us who continue to follow Jesus. So let's step back to the beginning of today's story. We start in Capernaum, not the marble steps of a lavish Roman temple, but we start in Capernaum, the small town just northwest of the Sea of Galilee. In Jesus' time, it's a town of a thousand people. And fun fact, Rose Murky and I, back in 2015, were there in Capernaum. And I know others from First Baptist Church and those who might be watching today have been there as well. And maybe you want to send us a picture and we'll post that in news and notes of your time in Capernaum. And the interesting thing about Capernaum is that this is one of those towns away from the hustle and bustle of busy Jerusalem that quite possibly Jesus would have hung out. And there are places, and even this synagogue that we talk about today, um, we're going to post a couple of pictures, but um, in the 4th century, there was a synagogue built upon the remains of the Jesus synagogue. And Evan's going to post a couple of those pictures. And there's a sign that says, this white synagogue is built on the remains of the synagogue of Jesus. You might even be able to see that sign in the picture. But then just 100 meters away is a dwelling place that is thought to be the house of Simon and Andrew. And we'll hear more about that house in next week's story in the Gospel of Mark. So these are places where Jesus might have actually been and stood. And Rose knows that uh, on our Israel tour, I was always peppering our tour guide saying, was Jesus standing here? Was Jesus standing here? Was Jesus standing here? Was Jesus standing here? He would roll his eyes. But this was one of the places where Jesus could have stood, either at Andrew and Simon's house or in this synagogue where he starts his public ministry. And it's interesting that he starts it in this small town, possibly a town where he worked with his father doing carpentry projects. And on this Sabbath, with family and friends, he's once again impressing the religious leaders, much like he's been doing since apparently he was 12 years old. We heard that story a few weeks ago. But on this Sabbath day, he not only astounds, but he confounds and he confronts powers and principalities. And it's not the religious leaders and the experts who get it. It's a man with an unclean spirit. First, the spirit cries out in defiance. What do you have to do with us? Why do you meddle with us? You have come to destroy us? But then the spirit cries out in fear. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. And then with authority, Jesus silences the spirit. And immediately in this small town, words of Jesus, uh, rumors of Jesus' deeds and fame spread quickly. And we suspect that these religious leaders and legal experts start meeting behind closed doors, conspiring to hem in this Jesus and keeping his magical powers or his spiritual shenanigans to a minimum. So what does this mean for us? 
I would assume we're not scheming to shut down Jesus' ministry powers. But what is it that the Holy Spirit might inspire or enthuse or activate in our midst today? My hunch is that our church leadership team is not going to quickly start a cast out the demons ministry program here at First Baptist. But how have you encountered this phenomenon? I remember in my late teens, there was this certain rebuke the powers Christianity going through uh, the churches of Lethbridge, Alberta. Uh, Lots of us were reading Frank Peretti books, This Present Darkness. Anyone? Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness? And we were getting very caught up in this trend of naming and denouncing demons and uh, warlords, spiritual warlords that were lurking behind every doorway and every doorpost. And sad to say, rather than us being Christians who were blessing the city, we were often being very suspicious of everything. And if we couldn't confirm that you were a Christian in good standing, then the only other option was that you must be possessed by a demon. Yikes. Now, on the other side of this contesting against the spiritual forces spectrum is kind of a laissez-faire attitude, believing that, no, there's no evil structures or evil systems playing out in the world, and things are just going to work out if we just gather enough crystals together and wish upon a star. So I I hope we can land in in a middle way, where we can live out of these exorcism stories. There's more in the gospel of of Mark. In this short gospel, there's four exorcism stories. So the good news that ought to stay in the forefront of our minds is that Jesus is the one that we follow here. And Jesus is the one uniquely authorized, commissioned, and empowered to declare and establish the reign and nearness of God. Jesus is the one uniquely empowered, commissioned, authorized to declare and establish the reign and nearness of God. So that's where we start in living out of a story like this. And then we note that Jesus disrupts, Jesus intrudes, Jesus breaks through boundaries and systems that seem to be hemming people in so that all may get in on the good news of God's reign and God's way in the world. Jesus is seeking to liberate all peoples, all communities, all creations, so that the powers that keep them from thriving and flourishing will be crushed, so that they may choose life and hope and healing instead of the way of death and darkness. So this is good news. And we, Jesus followers, join Jesus in this good news of restoration and healing and reconstruction. And so these exorcism stories give us strength and inspiration and vision to look at the way things are and not be satisfied, but disrupt and um, disrupt and engage so that we move things from just the way things are to the way things that God yearns that they might be. 
Last week, Jeremy phrased it as being change agents of God's reign and God's kingdom. So I want us to invite, I want to invite us to reflect with some questions on what might it look like or how might we be these change agents of God's reign and God's way. We might ask ourselves questions like, how might Jesus upend our assumptions about what is possible? Or where do we see souls needing to be set free from destructive tendencies and powers? Where do we see that and what might we do? How do we follow Jesus' peacemaking and reconciling ways into places where what is not yet can be transformed to be, yes, it will be so? With this question, I might add that our church council right now is thinking and reflecting on praying on ways that we can work against racism. We see things as they are and are praying and looking for ways that we can make them a new way, a healthier, more whole way. Part of that is taking on the challenges from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and finding ways that we can speak and worship and also practice ways where our Indigenous neighbors feel more welcome. And Church Council right now is working on uh, treaty acknowledgement words, words that we might say at our worship services where we acknowledge that we are all treaty people. We acknowledge that we share this land, this country, with all of our neighbors, including our Indigenous neighbors. Another question or way of reflecting on this is, where can we work to usher in the reign of God in places where other reigns seem to be holding their sway? How might we stand up for or get busy in the name of or discover tilted playing fields and work to make them level playing fields? where there's justice and equity for all. Bonnie Thurston, the Bible scholar, reflects on this story this way and asks this question, what are the demons that exclude persons from full participation in the worshiping community today? And how would Jesus respond to them? I want to go back in time and share one of those stories, uh, those, uh, one of my wild and youthful stories of Lethbridge young adult Christian life. As we were uh, empowered by Frank Peretti and all these images, uh, one night we were driving around the west side of Lethbridge, and a group of us were then running around neighborhoods, um, praying and pushing back the forces of darkness. And uh, we stood by this one sign, this community sign called Ridgewood Heights. And one of my friends said, we pray in the name of Jesus that this would not be Ridgewood Heights, but that this would be Freedom Heights. And we whooped and we hollered in victory as we ran around this community sign. Oh, oh, wow. Now, I tell that story because it does have some relevance here. 
Not that we're going to start running around community signs as a First Baptist Church program. No. But I suspect some of you have similar stories that you might share, and we might catch up on some of those stories in the Zoom coffee hour today. But as I was reflecting on this, that story this week in my memories, the one redemptive piece of that story was the zeal and the hope and this reimagining spirit that my friends and I um, were trying to cultivate, where we were praying and acting and running around, um, praying that there could be this world that could be in the midst of a world that just was. And so even as I'm thinking about these questions and reflections for us this week, I hope that we can look around our neighborhoods or the places where we abide in these days, classrooms, sitting rooms, family rooms, and maybe with creative imaginations and maybe a bit of outlandish, fervent hope. We might not just say, well, it is what it is. But we might allow the Spirit to move us, to enthuse us, to empower us to act with words of hope and healing and restoration, pushing back and rebuking the forces of darkness, not rebuking people, got to be clear on that, but rebuking the forces, the principalities, the systems that might be working against us, working against others, oppressing, hindering? And might we confront these evil systems and power structures? And might we say silence? There is a better way. There is a more compassionate and holy way. And we stand with Jesus in the lead, with Jesus' love and presence and reign and nearness. And we join Jesus in this ongoing radical revolution where we live in his power, we live in his light, we live in the promise of his words. Jesus says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Believe the good news.